Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Welcome to Israel and You. And we've got a great program lined up today. Uh, the U.S. Congress has designated April 16 to 23, 2023, the Days of Remembrance. And on April 18th is Yom HaShoah, which is a Remembrance Day of the victims of the Holocaust. And April 19th is uh, remembering the heroes and the righteous of the nations who stood up to protect and help Jews during the Holocaust. And uh, the 19th of April is a day to commemorate the Warsaw Uprising in Warsaw, Poland. And today we brought back to the program our good friend Isaac Amon. And he was with us uh, last time. And uh, Dr. Isaac Amon is the Director of Academic Research at Jewish Heritage Alliance, a cultural and historical nonprofit dedicated to preserving and promoting the legacy of Sephardic Jews of the Iberian Peninsula. He's an attorney and counselor at law in St. Louis, Missouri. He obtained his JD and LLM in negotiation, dispute, resolution, and JSD, PhD in law, in comparative criminal procedure from Washington University School of Law in St. Louis. He was awarded the Dagon Legimsky Public Interest Fellowship for his work at the International Criminal Tribunal for the Formal Yugoslavia in The Hague and served as Director for Legislative Service at the Missouri Department of Corrections. He's a descendant of Sephardic Jews who fled Spain for the Ottoman Empire in 1492 due to the Spanish Edict of Expulsion. He researches, he writes, and speaks on Jewish history, criminal justice, and procedure issues and the law and anti-Semitism. He has an abiding interest in history, memory, and legacy. And I met Isaac about a month ago at a conference on the Holocaust at the University of Texas at Dallas, and uh, he presented a paper there on uh, the Holocaust as it related to Sephardic Jews and, and how they perished. And so he's come on today, and we're going to talk about uh, Yom HaShoah, and the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. We're going to talk about issues like where was God during the Holocaust? We're going to talk about the issue of remembering. And Isaac is a great rememberer. He's, he's one who studies the Holocaust. So Isaac, welcome to Israel and you. Thank you, Aaron. Great to be back. Looking forward to continuing the conversation, especially at a very timely moment. As you said, this week is fraught with a lot of significant dates in terms of remembering the past. So so tell us, Isaac, what, what is Yom HaShoah? What does it mean? Uh, you know, why are these days designated by the U.S. Congress as a, a season, a time to remember? Yeah, so you you kind of alluded to it, but it connects uh, this, this week in mid-April, connects to the anniversary of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, which was I think the largest single revolt by Jews during uh, the Holocaust, during World War II. There are other revolts that we could briefly talk about. But uh, in April of 1943, the Nazis, after having shipped hundreds of thousands of Jews from Warsaw 
uh, to mostly Treblinka. Uh, they prepared to liquidate, to exterminate the remaining inhabitants of the ghetto. Um, and there was an uprising that occurred um, and about 13,000 Jews were killed um, overall. Um, the entire ghetto was flattened and, and, and uh, again, fully uh, destroyed. Um, but it lasted a month. This hmm. entire revolt lasted, um, again, something like four weeks, which was, I think, just as long as the French army stood against the Wehrmacht hmm. or the German army when it invaded in June 1940. And so it's an extraordinary moment in, in Jewish and, and world history. And so to commemorate this, 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 again, extraordinary, remarkable moment of heroism at the highest levels, uh, and the Jews knew they were going to their deaths. It was how did they choose it? They wanted to go out fighting. Um, Israel uh, and the U.S. have declared that we should remember the Holocaust, the Yom HaShoah, the day of the Holocaust, the day of remembrance, to connect with this anniversary because it's so significant, again, in, in, in Jewish uh, and, and really, I think, world history. Um, I will just add the, the United Nations has designated in January as International Holocaust Remembrance Day. They wanted to connect it to the liberation of Auschwitz by the Soviet Army in January of 1945. Uh, but I see... A, a better way in a sense of connecting it to, to this month, to April, because it was the Jews themselves fought in order to, to, ulti to have ultimate victory. And so it's extraordinary, uh, again, extraordinarily uh, um, significant and very meaningful to commemorate it in this month, in April. So Isaac, this is a question that <clears throat> I, I ask myself, because you know, you're involved in, in advocacy helping people to understand uh, the Holocaust, uh, especially in these days of growing anti-Semitism globally. So why is it so important to remember? Why is it important to, to have a day like Yom HaShoah? Why is it important uh, for, for what you do, you know, as, a, as an individual doing what you can to commemorate, to remember, to keep the memory alive? Why is that so crucial? Well, I think that as the famous phrase says, those who don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Um, you know, one of the mantras, of course, that came out of, you know, the Holocaust of discovering this horrifying genocide was that idea never again will mm -hmm. we allow something like that to happen. Unfortunately, genocides, other genocides, of course, have occurred in the 20th century and much violence and bloodshed continues in our time, uh, even in the 21st century. But I think that, you know, it's hard sometimes to wrap our minds around this, these staggering numbers. You know, what is 60,000 people? What is a million people? Six million. I mean, we know the numbers, but what does it really mean? And I think, you know, everyone goes about their day-to-day -day lives and worried about rather mundane matters. And we have to because we live on a day-to-day -day level. But these were, again, extraordinary moments, both triumphant and, and, and ridden with tragedy and horrifying, and it impacted everyone, certainly the Jewish people. Uh, again, two-thirds of all European Jews were murdered. One-third of all Jews on the planet were wiped out, again, mm -hmm. within a lifetime, only wow. 80 years ago. And so it, it obviously hits all of us uh, very hard, um, I, I would suspect that there's not a Jew alive today 
who didn't have a relative or at least knew someone who was impacted by the Holocaust. And uh, because of how extensive it was, it's likely so many others, including non-Jews, um, and we'll get into that later too, I'm sure, about Jews uh, who, helped not, who helped save Jews too. It, it was such a moment, and it's so intimately tied in with World War II that it's important to remember, and especially again, as we're losing those final survivors, the final veterans of the greatest generation, it's so important that we preserve what we can and pass it on to future generations. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, when we talk about memory and the importance of memory, there was a study in September 2020, the Conference on Jewish Material Claims Against Germany. They released the U.S. Millennial Holocaust Knowledge and Awareness Survey, which was a 50-state survey examining Holocaust awareness mm -hmm. among millennials and Gen Z, the first of its kind, and what's what's powerful is the the, the fact that there the memory is being lost to the next generation. Sixty three percent of American millennials do not know that six million Jews were murdered in the Holocaust. Fifty nine percent of those surveyed believe that another Holocaust is possible, and forty eight percent could not name one of the forty thousand concentration camps or ghettos developed in the Holocaust. So this is staggering. And, you know, yes. why do you think this is? Is it just because maybe we're not teaching the Holocaust in, in public education anymore? What What's going on, Isaac? I mean, I think it's just one is the simple passage of time. Um, again, since 80 years have passed. So uh, this is coming up on, say, almost a century. Um, I mean, give or take. And so to a lot of people, it probably feels like I don't like to use the word, but like distant history. It didn't impact me directly, or maybe my grandparents or my great-grandparents at this point, they lived through it, or they helped to, say, liberate the camps. Uh, it's just, I think it's just, we're just getting to a point where, again, when there's no firsthand survivors, I think it's hard to maintain that that level of, um, of uh, you know, of, of connection. Uh I suspect that with growing anti-Semitism, something we spoke about last time as well, uh, there is an attempt to not talk about this issue because it's so glaring, because it's it's such a conspicuous and horrifying moment uh, that's really unspeakable, unfathomable. And so, you know, the attempt that we talk about the Holocaust and so it, you know, portrays Jews as victims, um, you know, so people who oppose the Jewish people or perhaps of course, um, oppose the state of Israel, uh, may not wish to talk about this. They wish to probably minimize the Holocaust because it's such, again, a powerful retort and it shows what anti-Semitism uh, can do, uh, obviously, in the culmination of this, what's called eliminationist anti-Semitism, the total annihilation or elimination of the Jewish people. So I think it's a combination of things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a real problem. And those numbers are, as you said, Aaron, quite disturbing in fact i'm not even sure which is the worst the worst number mm -hmm. yeah well <clears throat> there was a hopeful number and that is that 80 percent of the respondents believe that holocaust education must be prioritized right uh, in public education to prevent another holocaust from happening so well, that's very interesting that's great. to me and yeah. you know you know i will just add to missouri where i live recently uh, uh, did pass through the state legislature, you know, a plan to mandate Holocaust education 
in all public schools. And, and I think that's very important. It's, I don't think it's mandated in every state. I do think that will help to combat it um, because, again, a lot of this is not, I think at times it's, it's really born out of ignorance. Never having met a Jewish person before, it's easy to build up hate um, you know, and fear of the other, someone you've never met, or perhaps you really don't know. And so education can really help to break down those walls. So that is actually very hopeful uh, number. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So here's a, here's an issue and, um, talk to us about the righteous among the nations. And, you know, what does that phrase even mean? And I think it was Ellie Wiesel who said the opposite of hate, um, I'm sorry, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And so there were a few righteous uh, Gentiles in the occupied territories. I think there was 30,000 out of 300 million people, 0.0.1% of the population in the occupied territories, that uh, people like Corey Tinboom, that hid Jews, her family yeah. perished. Uh, she was a, you know, a Christian woman. A not Jewish, who saved Jews, and there was uh, plenty more like Corey. So, talk to us about the righteous of the nations, those that set aside the the majority uh, opinion of indifference uh, towards the plight of the Jews. Talk to us about the righteous of the nations, Isaac. Yeah, um, e exactly, Aaron. Uh, Ellie Wiesel is correct, and there's another saying that's very similar: that the road to Auschwitz and the Holocaust was maybe built with hate, but again, it was paved with indifference, meaning right. if there is a core group of people who hate another group, who wish to see their extermination, and other people, the vast, vast majority who are otherwise, say, decent, law-abiding, good people, just stand by, that's mm -hmm. all that's necessary in order to, to reach a genocide. And so these righteous among the nations, drops of love in an ocean of poison, as Golda Meir called them, Wow. These were people who, who, who put their lives and those of their families on the line to save Jews. They believed there was a higher calling. They believed that God had called on them in a lot of cases to save the Jewish people, regardless of the consequences that might result for defying the laws of man. And we are so thankful uh, for some of their, you know, again, extraordinary, uh, extraordinary stories and helping to save Jews. Yeah, and that's, this week is a commemoration of those folks, uh, the righteous of the nations in exactly. Israel. And so when we come back uh, after the break, we'll talk more with Isaac about the, about the rights of the nations. We also want to address the issue, where was God in the Holocaust? We'll see you on the other side of the break. Hi, I'm Aaron Free, President of Israel Team Advocates. And there's an alarming decline today in the support of Israel among U.S. evangelical millennials ages 18 to 29. A May 2021 survey administered by the Barna Group shows that between 2018 and 2021, favorable support for Israel has been cut in half from 75% to 35% among evangelical millennials in the United States. If this trend continues, evangelicalism will be anti-Israel in just a few short years. And remember that young Christians today will be the leaders of tomorrow. Israel team recently conducted interviews with students at a major evangelical university concerning their understanding of the Holocaust. The answers were troubling. To the first question, what was the Holocaust? Half of the students did not know. 
To the second question, who was Adolf Hitler, again, only half of the students had knowledge enough to connect him to the Jewish genocide. In the remaining questions, we found a surprising, breathtaking, really, lack of historical understanding of the murder of six million Jews during the Holocaust. This example is indicative of a much larger problem. The study of the Holocaust is not prioritized in Christian primary, secondary, and higher education. And there's so much more that we can do. You can help Israel Team today by going to israelteam.org and clicking the donate button and your tax-deductible gift today will help us in pushing back against this growing narrative of anti-Israelism within the evangelical millennial community. So go to israelteam.org and stand with us today. We're building a bridge for the coming generation, and it's so important that we build that bridge. So help us today at israelteam.org. That's israelteam.org. This is Israel in You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back, and we're here with Isaac Amon, and we are talking about the Holocaust and Yom HaShoah, the remembrance of the Holocaust uh, during this time of April 16th through 23. So Isaac, let's talk a little about uh, the issue of where was God in the Holocaust, and uh, there's there's many responses to this issue in both the, the Jewish and the Christian community. And to me, the Holocaust poses a, a moral dilemma. Um, and the issue is, was God silent? Was God indifferent to human suffering? Some say that God was simply sadistic, that, you know, he allowed this to happen on purpose uh, to the Jewish people. And uh, so there's lots of different views of where God was during these years of Jewish annihilation. So uh, what saith you, Isaac? What, what's your opinion on this issue? Well, I think at the deepest level, I would have to confess an inability really to, of course, give a real explanation. I'm sure everyone would confess. We, we, we will never know. We can't know. Um, um, but obviously we can try to understand and give reasons. I, you know, I've also heard, uh, as, as, as you've mentioned, uh, the various perspectives that it was a type of punishment for the sins of the Jewish people. Of course, this I, I reject. I don't think there's anything that could really lead to, again, the, the, the sheer scale extermination, annihilation of, of one third of the Jewish people in total. Um, I tend to think and this is strongly embedded in traditional Jewish theology, that yes, God is omnipotent. Yes, God is omniscient. Yes, God is omnipresent, right? But mm -hmm. at the same time, he allows free will to happen. He allows bad things to take place, because if he were to intervene dramatically, openly, all the time to prevent it, it would render free will, you know, uh, it, would, it would nullify it. It would negate it. Um, and so he has to allow these things to take place. Uh, it doesn't mean that he's not there. Um, I, I know you've, you've, you've mentioned too that perhaps God is in the suffering. Uh, there, there is a type of theology and belief in Judaism that I think that also accepts that, especially in the Holocaust, he was with us. He mm -hmm. was carrying us. 
but yeah, I, I, I reject the idea that it was for the sins of the Jewish people. I, I think it was the sins of man. And it was the darkest uh, depravity and the, 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 the deepest hatred uh, of man's inhumanity to man, something that, again, we'll never fully be able to comprehend. Yeah, I was researching for an article that came out today that I wrote for the Times of Israel. And our listeners, uh, you can just go to the Times of Israel, Google my name, Aaron David uh, Free, F-R-U-H. You can find this article. It's entitled... The Holocaust, Where Was God? Some thoughts on Yom HaShoah. And um, I read a quote by the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who recalled yeah. the first time he went to Auschwitz. He said he broke down and wept and asked himself, God, where were you? He then described what happened next. And words came into my mind. I'm not claiming they were any kind of revelation, but this is what they said. And here's what God spoke to him. I was in the words, you shall not murder I was in the words, you shall not oppress the stranger. I was in the words that were said to Cain when he killed Abel. Your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And suddenly I knew that when God speaks and human beings refuse to listen, even God is helpless in that situation. He knew that Cain was about to kill Abel, but he didn't stop him. He knew that Pharaoh was about to kill Israelite children. He didn't stop it. God gives us freedom and never takes it back. But he tells us how to use that freedom. And when human beings refuse to listen, um, God is powerless to act because he's given us free will. And I, I think that's a, a remarkable explanation uh, that you know, really settles some it things is. in and, my own mind. Yeah, and Aaron, yeah, if ahead. I could just add too, though, I see God as well in the righteous among the nations. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's the small Huguenot, right, Protestant village of Le Chambon in France that sheltered what about 5,000 Jews or, right. you know, the Japanese diplomat Chione Tsugihara in Lithuania who defied his government to issue thousands of visas or the Portuguese diplomat Aristides de Souza Mendes in Bordeaux, France, who saved perhaps as many as 30,000 people, hmm. including 10,000 Jews and who was uh, also punished by the Portuguese government. Or perhaps someone who's really uh, unknown is the Greek Archbishop Damaskinos of Athens, who who issued uh, fake baptismal certificates, identity papers. He ordered uh, the entire Greek Orthodox Church, uh, particularly in Athens, to hide all Jews they could. It's estimated that something like 25,000 or 27,000 people received some type of assistance from him. He even formally and publicly protested the, the deportations of those Sephardic Jews from Salonika to Auschwitz. It's the only open protest ever issued in Europe on behalf of the Jewish people. Hmm. Um, he himself was threatened with death by the SS uh, 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 General Jurgen Stroop, who had actually destroyed and leveled the Warsaw Ghetto. And uh, he, the, the SS general threatened to, um, threatened to shoot the archbishop. And the archbishop's response was, our priests or our prelates are to be hanged, not shot. Please respect our traditions. Wow. And he defied and of course, he, he lived through the war. He ended up becoming prime minister uh, for a couple of years afterwards. And he was recognized by Yad Vashem as righteous among the nations. So I see God at work in these people. And just what's also interesting to me is, is that there's almost, you know, if we're looking for something of a commonality between these people, they ran the gamut. They're Christians and some Muslims. They were agnostic. They were affluent. They were poor. They lived in big cities. They lived in small towns. They came from all walks of life, and yet they saw the, the divine in the other. 
Mm. And, and that to me is a remarkable moment of, of human solidarity. Um, and, and, and again, I see God in the words as Rabbi Sachs said, but I also see him in these actions of how we treat our fellow man. That's so true. You know, it, it's courage is, uh, someone said is probably, uh, one of the greatest human character traits. And uh, during times like this, um, a few will, will stand up courageous uh, to advocate, to speak out against hate. Uh, what's sad is, you know, as it was in Europe during the Holocaust, the majority of people, um, both, both Christian and secular um, citizens, did nothing. I, I got a text this morning from a friend uh, from England. My wife and I mm-hmm. attended a conference this summer in, in Oxford University, and we sat next to a, a young uh, woman named Fatima Al-Harbi. She's from the United uh, Arab Emirates. She was a former uh, Olympic athlete. And uh, this picture is uh, from yesterday during these days of remembrance. She's at Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. And she's kneeling down by the railroad track, and she's holding a note. And the note says, Muslims stand together with Jews, never again, exclamation point. And her life is in danger because she runs an organization that is doing what it can to advocate against anti-Semitism. And so there will be great heroes in the in the coming days as anti-Semitism continues to rise. There'll be... There'll be heroes like Corey Tenboom. There'll be heroes like uh, Fatima Al Harbi today that are not afraid to speak out and say, "I stand with the Jewish people." Yeah, it's the ordinary people who can make the biggest difference and perhaps live an extraordinary life. That's so true. And so, um, Isaac, one more thing I want to talk to you about is the legal aspects of the Holocaust and, and yeah. uh, the accountability. And, and we just lost just in the last few weeks, a, a, a great man of, of courage uh, that led the Nuremberg trials. Can you talk just the last few minutes about that? Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, we lost Benjamin Ferenz, the last living prosecutor from the Nuremberg trials at the age of 27. He led the prosecution of the SS death squads who murdered over a million uh, men, women, and children, Jews in Eastern Europe. And uh, that was an extraordinary moment. It was his first uh, prosecution, uh, again, at 27 years old. And he just died at 103. So what an extremely fulfilling and meaningful life. And that really represented, I think, the, in a sense, the commitment of the United States and the world in that moment to holding these people accountable. And we should not uh, forget that. That's so important. And Isaac, I so appreciate your work in what you are doing to uh, help the world remember uh, the Holocaust. And I'm so grateful that the state of Missouri is uh, now making Holocaust education mandatory in public schools. And maybe yeah. somehow we can work together to Uh, help the next generation understand, comprehend what actually took place so we can prevent something like this from ever happening again. You can follow Israel Team at israelteam.org. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And we'll see you next time on Israel and You. Thanks, Isaac, for being with us. Thank you, Aaron.